0: Awesome. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for making space to connect together on your Sunday morning. Uh, I know we're excited to get back together and uh, we're going to be given uh, some more information about what that's going to look like and when we're going to begin to regather for those who are ready uh, just in the next couple of days. So keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, uh, we're gathered together in this way this morning to kind of land the plane on this series on the topic of humility. As we've been walking through uh, the middle part of 1 Peter chapter 5. And what we see is again and again, God's calling us to see a bigger view of himself And a bigger view of the people who bear his image. And humility isn't about being beat down. It's about just having a better perspective. And sometimes when life is so wrapped up in our bubble, it's overwhelming. Or sometimes we just think maybe we're a bigger deal than we actually are. So I heard this awesome story a couple weeks ago that involves my oldest brother, Greg. Uh, he helped coach uh, the girls' basketball team at the Christian School uh, in Tennessee where his kids attended early on and uh, where he actually attended and where me and Mark attended when we were younger too. Uh, but he was serving as a coach there with the girls' basketball team, and uh, that team was really good. As a matter of fact, for years, they never lost a game and so they finally got invited to a tournament uh, uh that's a national tournament that's a really big deal that to to get invited to this tournament is like a oh man we really want to go compete and so they got invited to this tournament and it, um and they were like man hey we want to play the best teams you've got and the guy who hosts the tournament he's the one who told me the story a couple weeks ago he said he tried to tell the head coach listen you you, you don't want to play the best teams we have we think y'all should be in division 3 Maybe Division 4, but we'll play you up to Division 3 if you want to. The coach was like, no, we want to play Division 1. I mean, I might would settle for Division 2, but we want to play Division 1. We haven't lost a game in years. We want to see how good we are. And the host of the tournament was like, you don't understand, man. Like, these are McDonald's All-American, like, college-recruited Division 1 athletes. Like, y'all are a really small Christian school, and that's awesome that you're doing so well. That's why we invited you to the tournament. But you don't want to be in Division 1 or 2. And the coach kept insisting, and so sure enough... The guy said, fine, we'll put you in there. Their first game, they lost by more than 40 points. Second game, they lost by more than 40 points, and they were knocked out of the tournament. They drove the whole way up there and went to this tournament and got destroyed both games. Because here's the deal. Sometimes when we're in our own little world, we kind of think it's all about us, and we believe that it's all dependent on us and that we got this. And in our bubble, we tend to think we're a bigger bigger deal Then maybe we really are intended to be. And the freedom from seeing that perspective is the joy found in biblical humility. So we're going to look back at our text this morning. Please grab your Bible this morning uh, or grab your tablet or whatever you're using because we still want to declare our creed together uh, to set our hearts together. This is a way that we can feel a little more connected. So even at home, say this with me. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Awesome. Back to 1 Peter chapter 5 again this morning. And I really began to to walk through this text months ago at the very beginning of all this COVID-19 stuff, at the very beginning of quarantine. And and I just had never noticed how much humility is tied to so many of these other things. I'd never seen a connection before in my life between humility and anxiety. I'd I'd never seen a connection between humility and, and the comfort of God, between humility and spiritual warfare, or between the concept of humility and eternity which is what we're going to talk about this morning. So as a bit of a real quick review, let's read the whole text that we've covered so far and then look at our last two verses for this morning. Beginning in the second half of verse number five, clothe yourselves. Again, this is through the work of the Holy Spirit, something we're empowered to do by the work of God. And so with so much out of our control, so much we don't have a choice about, we have the choice to examine our wardrobe today. Will we clothe ourselves with humility? And I love the next words, all of you, right? And so when we first announced that we were doing a sermon series on humility, some of you started sharing like those real common sayings where it's like, man, humility is what I'm best at. I'm really good at humility. Like, I've got it down. I'm awesome. Uh, some of you were like, it's really hard to be humble when you're this awesome. Uh, that that was great. And, and then it's this idea of like, man, I I have mastered humility. Well, that's the first sign that you've probably not mastered humility right um like i was going to write a book about humility but instead i just published a photo album of me doing humble things and i'd be happy to sign it for you like how do you teach on humility how do you promote humility or talk about humility if we think that the topic of humility doesn't apply to us i love here where peter's like no all of you (laughs) like this applies to all of us right that we would clothe ourselves with humility toward one another that this is, this is a spiritual component and a relational component. And really that, that is, it is both relational and spiritual uh, towards God. And it's both relational and spiritual toward one another. That we have this humble view of ourselves before God and before the people who bear his image. And then the warning and the promise, God opposes the proud. There's so much conflict going on right now. But man, we, we want to submit ourselves to God and not be in opposition to him because we need grace. And he promises grace to the humble. Again, here's this challenge. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. This idea that when I compare the might of his hand with the might of my hand, maybe I'm not as mighty as I think I am. God's got this. He's God and I'm not. And then, I love this this wording, at the proper time. And because in humility I've submitted to God, he's the one who defines proper time. Because my timing's almost never aligned with his timing, but he has a perfect timing. And we said that that pride says, I want what I want when I want it. And humility says, I want what God wants when he wants it. Because here's what he's up to. At the proper time, that same mighty hand that humbles us will exalt us. That he lifts us up. Humility isn't this degrading, debasing, shrinking down thing. God wants to truly lift us up, and so we humble ourselves before the goodness of God. And then there's this connection that, that the way we humble ourselves and the way that we're, we're lifted up by God is by casting all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. That I'm casting my anxieties, that that the idea of anxiety, that, that the burden would bear us down. I'm casting this thing that bears me down. And we said the word glory actually means weight. It's the idea of I'm not formed for this to be all about me. God is God and I'm not. Which means God is God and I don't have to pretend to be. I don't have the pressure on me to get it all right and to be perfect and to measure up to somebody's standards or whatever to, to, to pursue these glory things. No, that uh, shoulders formed of dust can't bear the weight of that. And so he invites us in humility to say, God, I can't carry this. Like, I'm anxious about it because I I know I can't fix this. So instead, I'm going to trust you because he cares for you. God is more concerned with our welfare than he is. And so we trust him with the things that we're most concerned about. That's where humility sets us free. And so the mighty hand that humbles us is the mighty hand that exalts us and the mighty hand that cares for us. And then in humility, the challenge is to be sober minded to be awake and alert and clear headed to be watchful because we have a very real adversary the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour that there's a very real enemy and so this conflict is actually bigger than me in humility i realize there's a bigger thing going on there's a bigger opposition there's a bigger battle that's happened than just my feelings and my wants and my opinions and my political views that there's a bigger story here and in humility I see this very real opponent, but in humility I'm called to do this. In verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith. So I have faith that God cares for me. I have faith in his mighty hand. I've humbled myself before it. And this mighty hand we see is the hand that exalts us. It's the mighty hand that cares for us. And it's the mighty hand that defends us, that battles for us, that fights against our true opponent, our true enemy. And then we also realize in humility that we 're not alone in this. We are not alone. We know that the same kind of suffering is being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world god hasn 't uh, pointed us out or or, or, or sequestered us or, or or narrowed us out to be this 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 object of his lack of care, his wrath his his lack of compassion no listen we we 're just existing in a broader story connected with humankind, and then this morning. We look at verses 10 and 11, which say this, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Listen, this, this idea that God's up to something eternal, God's up to something glorious, and it's just on the other side. So look back again at verse 10, and, and we see this idea, after you have suffered a little while. And, and what that reminds me in humility is, I'm not such a big deal that I'm exempt from experiencing brokenness. In a broken world. (laughs) See pride says I deserve better. I know that as the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. We've experienced suffering ever since we were cast out of the garden. But I want my garden. (laughs) I want paradise right here and now. I deserve better than everyone else who's ever lived has experienced. Because I'm that big of a deal. In humility I realize no we live in a broken world. I'm not immune to this. I I can't travel this road of life And not experience pain. I can't not experience suffering. It's it's just a real part of this. And when I'm humbled before God. And humbled before humanity. I realize that we live in a broken world. And this isn't paradise. But in that perspective. I also realize that this suffering. Is only for a little while. And I don't know about you. But the last five months. Have not felt like a little while. But when I think about. Eternity, forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, with joy, and delight, and hope, and promise, and fulfillment. Okay, this is just a little while. <laughs> That's the perspective. When, when I humble myself and see this grander story of God that I'm invited into, then the, the perspective, the focus of suffering... Is not seen as so permanent. And and a a bunch of you who are watching have heard me say this in uh, my office or over a cup of coffee together. I don't know if I've ever said this in a sermon together. But the lie of the enemy constantly, frequently, consistently is he calls what is temporary permanent. The whisper of the enemy, this slanderer, this accuser, this adversary – He whispers all the time telling us that we're never going to get past this anxiety. We're never going to get past this fear. We're never going to get past this addiction. We're never going to get past this grief. And yet the human story is, yeah, we actually will get to the other side because God is faithful because God's up to something. And the fact is, in the moment, it feels like we're never going to get past it. In the moment, it feels like life's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. I mean, this is just, like, overwhelming. But in the humility of seeing the story of God, really our suffering is just for a little while. And maybe you've heard it said before that, that for those who don't follow after Jesus, think about how rough stuff has been the last several months. For those who've not given their life to Christ this is the closest thing to heaven they're ever going to experience. But for those of us who've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, for those of us who are following after Jesus, this is the closest thing to hell we'll ever experience. Listen, this suffering is just for a little while. And that's where the, the joy and freedom of humility sets me free from this being just about me. And so after... We've suffered for a little while. Look back at the text. Look at what God calls himself. The God of all grace. Man, I love that name for God. He's the God of all grace. The thing we need most, he's all about it. He, he's got it all in his authority, his possession, his being. It's who he is. Like grace doesn't just come from him. It's who he is in his character and in his nature. And we said earlier, as we looked at the text, that God gives grace to the humble. Humility is the conduit for us to experience God. The reason humility is the, the pathway for grace to come into our life is because humility helps us see God for who he is. And the more we see who he is, the more we experience him. And the more we experience him, we cannot help but experience grace. That's who he is. What we need most is less of us and more of him. That's the heart of humility. The God of all grace. And then I love this. The God of all grace. Look at the text. Who has called you to his eternal glory. Listen, friend, I want you to know there's a call of God. The king of the universe has placed a calling on your life. And that calling is towards eternal glory. The thing that these temporary shoulders, shoulders formed of dust, we can't bear the weight of glory. But God's calling us to share in, to delight in, to bask in, to enjoy his eternal glory. And just like our sufferings are temporary, his glory is eternal and so we suffer for a little while. Yeah, because we believe that the, the sufferings of this present age of Romans 8 are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Listen, this temporary suffering is nothing like the glory that God has for us. And so the lie of the enemy is, man, what's temporary is actually permanent. And his lie is what's permanent is really just temporary. Listen, that that good moment you have with God, it's not going to get you through the day. That good season in your life where you're really walking with God, see, you couldn't keep that up. Listen, there's an eternal glory that God is calling you towards that nothing can stop. COVID-19 can't stop the call of God on your life towards the riches of his glory. Unemployment can't stop his calling in your life. Marriage stress can't stop his calling in your life. A wayward child can't stop his calling in your life. Sickness can't stop that. Death can't stop that. There's no force in the universe that can stop the call of God in you towards glory. Now, there's a lot of stuff that can stop us from our call. (laughs) But in humility, what I know is there is something about the call of God. The God of all grace. And what he's called us to... Is unstoppable. It's endless. It is eternal, eternal glory. And that is something he has planted into our souls. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter three, that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's this thing in us that's made for eternal glory. And that thing in us can't stand being reminded that we're in temporary suffering. There's this, this difficulty and uh, the Apostle Paul would tell the church at Corinth in Second Corinthians, this church that was struggling so much with the stuff of life and the temptations and distractions of life and what he's telling us or what he's telling that church rather in Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we live in this temporary thing. He calls it a tent. <laughs> That it's a tent, it's something that we set up and take down. It's not a permanent home, it's not a permanent dwelling, it's this tent. And there's coming a day that we're going to get a building from God that lasts forever, eternal in the heavens. But in the meantime, he says, we groan, earnestly desiring to experience our heavenly home. This idea that that, that we're, Randy Alcorn said it this way, you're made for a person. And a place that person is Jesus and that place is heaven. That's what we're created for. In humility, I'm not actually experienced uh, created rather to experience everything I want right here and now. I'm not created in humility to, to experience paradise yet. <laughs> it's coming. It's, it's what we're waiting for and there's this draw that is wired into our hearts, longing for that person. In that place. The Old Testament prophet Haggai, uh, he called Jesus in a prophetic way, looking forward to the the coming Messiah. He spoke of Jesus in Haggai 2, verse 7, and called him the desire of all nations. No matter where you live, no matter where you have visited, no matter what age in history in which you live, we desire Jesus. We might not know that. We might not recognize that. One author said Jesus is is the answer to the ache within us. We've all been created to desire Jesus, to long for him. And that's not some escapism. That's not just, oh, I want to go to heaven because things really stink here. That's not some form of of, of escapism. That's the pathway to addiction. It's it's this desire to flourish. It's this desire to live and thrive. St. Augustine said, You have formed us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We long for Jesus. That's the call of God. The call of God to something bigger, grander, better. And there's a, a term for all of that. It's called nostalgia. <laughs> nostalgia is actually a word that, if we trace its history back, finds its roots in, in the Greek. And it's made up of, of two Greek words. Nostos means return home. And algos means pain. It's discomfort to return home. It's a longing. It's a pain that says, I'm not where I belong. I miss home. I want to return home. And what's weird is when we experience nostalgia in this life, and we desire to return to a place. When we go visit, it's almost always a letdown. It's not what we thought it would be. This past week, I was in Pennsylvania for my dad being laid to rest. And while we were there, I wanted to see some of the places. I was born in Pennsylvania. Um, We moved away when I was only nine months old. We moved back later in elementary school for only two years. I don't have a whole lot of memories from there. And I've not been back much. Uh, I was back for memorial service for my brother, Mark. I was back when my grandfather passed away and back to lay my dad to rest. So real quick visits that were surrounded by memorials. So while I was there for just a couple days, I wanted to see some of those places. I wanted to visit the home where the man lived, where he and his wife discipled my mom and dad as young adults when they gave their life to Jesus. I'm named after him. Well, the house was kind of falling apart. It looked awful. It was super run down. The whole time I was in Pennsylvania, I'm like, man, I remember this town being bigger. It's so small. Everything's so close by. That house was huge in my memory, and it's actually pretty tiny. And, man, none of it was really what I thought that it would be. And that's the kind of nostalgia we experience in this life. But here's the deal. What we experience as the followers of Jesus, when we humble ourselves and and realize that we belong to a bigger story... We're experiencing future nostalgia. We're experiencing a discomfort for a home that we haven't yet lived in. That's the call towards eternal glory. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We are created for eternal glory. And so maybe, just maybe what you're feeling today, Is not just frustration about your circumstance. Maybe what you're experiencing is homesickness for paradise. And what we realize in humility is we're not there yet. We're longing for that great day. And we're not the only ones. Romans chapter 8 tells us that all creation waits with eager longing for that great day. That, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. All creation, squirrels and trees and fish and flowers long for the reconciliation of all things. All creation longs for that great day. And, and that wording in verse 19 of Romans 8, that eager longing is one of those picture words in the Bible that literally means to strain your neck Stand on your tiptoes and look. (laughs) It's humility is not just this laying down on our face. It's actually looking up on our tiptoes, trying to see what's beyond the here and now. It's it's looking from our tiptoes at the grander story of God. It's not just about us and in our moment. Quickly back to the text. This God of all grace who's called us, it says, will himself, he himself, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love that. The God of all grace himself wants to do that. That's his desire in your life. And it's not what he's telling you to do. God is not telling us to restore ourselves, confirm ourselves, strengthen ourselves, establish ourselves. That's the message of pride. That's the message of the world. That's the message of the culture. That's the message of the self-help movement is you got this. Believe in yourself. And the God of all grace is saying, no, I want to do way better. And the reason he himself wants to do that is for two reasons. Number one, because he's good, because he cares for you. He cares for you. And here's the other reason why he wants to do that for you. Because he knows we can't do it for ourselves. I can't restore myself. An old busted up, fallen down house can't restore itself. A busted up car that's rusted out and doesn't run can't restore itself. And in that same way, in in humility, we realize that we need God. We need his work in our life and we humble ourselves before him. In humility, we realize that only a busted up thing needs to be restored. And in humility, we're not asking God to confirm us in our pride. He's too loving to do that. He'll only confirm us when we've humbled ourselves before him. In his love, he won't strengthen self-centeredness. He'll strengthen us when we've humbled ourselves. He won't establish our little kingdom of self and our wants and our wishes. He'll establish our pursuit of his kingdom. He's too good to endorse Our small-minded living. And then the final thought in verse 11. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dominion. that's That's a word of humility. We're giving you rule and reign. We submit. And here's the thing. Who has dominion? Well, a king does. And where does a king carry out their dominion? in their domain, in their kingdom. We, we invite the kingdom of God, your kingdom come, your will be done and not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. We're inviting the king to rule and reign, realizing I belong to a kingdom that's bigger than me. I belong to a story that's bigger than me and it doesn't revolve around me and it isn't all about me. It's all about him and I just wonder, I just wonder if we went back and looked at the last 30 days of our social media or 60 days or 90 days, would we see the picture if we just did a personal diagnosis? Would we see a picture of somebody who's who's pursuing the reign of a king that we're concerned with the kingdom of God or are we more concerned with the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of politics and the kingdom of our rights and the kingdom of our opinions and the kingdom of the expert of the day? Are we humbled pursuing the kingdom of God? And what we see in this text is the way that we flourish, the way that we thrive as the children of God, is in humility when we, when we experience and, and express and celebrate there's a bigger God than I pretend to be. There's a bigger hand than mine. It's his mighty hand that humbles us. It's his mighty hand that exalts us. It's his mighty hand that cares for us. It's his mighty hand that fights our battles. And it's his mighty hand that invites us home where we really belong. That invites us to his eternal glory. In humility, I realize there's bigger shoulders than mine. Shoulders that can actually carry the weight of everything I'm anxious about. In humility, I realize there's a bigger story than just mine, that, that I belong to the human story all around the world, brothers and sisters who are struggling. I, I believe there's a bigger plan than I can even fathom, that the call of God's being carried out in my life. In all things, he's working. And there's a bigger work going on that I can perceive that God's calling us, inviting us to his glory because there's a bigger kingdom than mine. Humility sets us free from all of that. Let me end with this story. Um, In April of 1990, our country launched um, something we had spent a whole lot of money on. Again, this work was done in the end of the 80s. We spent $1.5 billion so that we could build and then launch the Hubble Space Telescope. We had great hopes and dreams that we would see the universe like we'd never seen it before and like humankind had never seen it before and the problem is it was a billion dollar disaster when the Hubble telescope was finally launched and we finally got some images back they were so blurry that they were useless and what they discovered is that the telescope was out of focus the, the lens had not been calibrated correctly they said and, and what they said is there was a flaw in one of the lenses that was equal to 1 Of the thickness of a piece of paper One fiftieth of the thickness of a piece of paper This flaw And yet it caused the Hubble Space Telescope To be nearsighted All this money spent All this effort Years and years of work And they knew they couldn't go up And replace the lens They couldn't bring it back That would have cost another fortune To repair the lens They had no idea what to do And then they came up with a solution they would send something else that they would put on top of the lens that would be a duplication of the same mistake in reverse. They built a contact lens for the Hubble telescope that could correct this vision. And as soon as they did that, as soon as they did something to correct the focus, we got to see stuff that no generation in the history of humankind has ever gotten to see. We've seen more of the universe now. Than we'd ever seen before It just needed some help To bring some focus And here's the deal What I believe is humility brings into focus Who our God really is And we see the, the grandness Of his splendor And the, the greatness of his authority And the might of his hand And we don't think we're useless We, we see how great he is And we can't believe that he invites us Into his story Everything comes into focus when we see who he is and who we are, what his kingdom is, what our kingdom really is. It makes sense of our role in all of that. And what God's inviting us to today is to realize that the stuff that's all weighing on us, the conflict that we're facing right now, it's all actually about us. And if we would respond with some humility, like I I think the, the missing unicorn in our culture right now is that the people of God would be the voices of rational humility and say, this isn't about me or my political views or even my spiritual views or cultural views. But this is not just about me and my future and my comfort zone. This is the story of God being unfolded before us. And if we will look to him and invite others to look to him, Everything will come into focus. That begins first and foremost by knowing for sure that we have a relationship with Him. I invite you to click the link near this video that says, Can We Talk? If you need to talk to somebody about your relationship with God, we would love to set up both a time and a method that you're most comfortable with to engage in that conversation. If you are a follower of Jesus today, my encouragement to you is not to believe more in yourself. But is to have more faith in who our God really is. And in, in the experience, the hope of eternal glory that is on the other side. Nothing can stop the God of all grace from doing that work in us. And when we humble ourselves, we experience his restoration. We experience his strength. We experience his confirmation. This is the work of God. This is the, the grace available to those who recognize that He is God and we are not. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to listen to the the writing of eternity on our hearts. Because God, I, I believe you have written it there, but there's so much noise in this world that sometimes it is hard to read the text. Please make the whispers of glory louder than the screams of our fears our worries, or our struggles. God, we believe you. Help our unbelief. We trust you, that you are who you say you are, and so we don't have to pretend to be. God, set us free from small, self-oriented living. And God, in the work of your Holy Spirit, bring into focus the grand and glorious story of God to which we are invited. We trust your mighty hand don't lean on our own in Jesus name amen let's continue to worship together